When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So it felt like all of the different topics we're going to be exploring on Internet Hate Machine kind of all intersected last week with the finalization of Elon Musk taking over Twitter, the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, by a man armed with a hammer, and of course, Elon Musk using his newly purchased social media platform to spread baseless conspiracy theories about the attack. Now, according to Paul Pelosi's alleged attacker's own writings online, it was Gamergate that he credited with providing a gateway into extremism and conspiracy theories. And, you know, I started this podcast to explore the ways that the internet can have a big impact on our social and political landscape. And honestly, sometimes I kind of hate being right about it because online movements like Gamergate are still harming our political landscape today. And Dr. Joan Donovan, research director at the Harvard Kennedy Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy, and co-author of the book Meme Wars, is not surprised. Dr. Donovan, thank you so much for being here. So were you surprised to find out that Paul Pelosi's attacker credited Gamergate as being a political turning point for him? Unfortunately, in this world that I work in, I very rarely am surprised. So why this is important, of course, is that there are moments in our internet history that many people consider landmark moments for uh, on the right, they call it getting red-pilled, right? And so uh, the red pill is a, um, a reference to the matrix. You can either take the blue pill and live your life as if nothing is going on, or take the red pill and you can see the world for what it is. And there were many things going on during Gamergate, um, particularly violent misogyny, anti-Black racism, homophobia, transphobia. So Within Gamergate, there were many ways in which someone could have become red-pilled or awoken to this world where they think they're finally seeing reality for the first time. Um, And this is intensely problematic, generally because the way in which 
this starts usually is by digging into more and more media online. So you move away from mainstream media. You think the mainstream media is there simply to lie to you. And you start to go into these different rabbit holes trying to understand, well, then how do I get, how do I make sense of this world? Conspiracies tend to fill that void. The difference with Gamergate though, is that this was um, a real, a real set of events uh, that were happening and unfolding in this moment where uh, it wasn't just that we were seeing um, misogynistic, racist, homophobic, transphobic, inciting content moving around online, it was also starting to show up in people's real lives. And we saw uh, the violence of swatting and uh, the harassment and um, even intimidating people at their workplaces and their homes uh, or at conferences. And so it was a very different time as well. And this may be the last point I'll say on this is that during Gamergate, people learned these trolls and these misogynists, uh, these racists, all these ilks of, of people learned how to coordinate with one another. So it goes back even before Gamergate and different campaigns that uh, most famously probably is your slip is showing, which I know that you've covered uh, as well. Um, where black feminists were able to figure out very early on that they were being impersonated on Twitter uh, and were able to show what those accounts meant um, and what what they were up to and how easy it is to manipulate the system uh, or the design of social media in order to produce this targeted harassment. And so I wouldn't be surprised, although I don't have any evidence of it yet, that moments like that as well that are highly participatory that have these instantaneous feelings of reward and camaraderie for getting someone to shape you know shut down their account getting them to block you whatnot is is definitely something that we see uh many unfortunately many of the folks that end up being part of these movements over the long term uh participate in early on yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. Um, on this series, we're starting with HBR Richards, you know, Donglegate. And, you know, this, this thing that I think a lot of people, even people who were pretty online, might have seen as like a blip, but to me really marks something interesting, an interesting shift around exactly what you were talking about, this, the reward of feeling like, oh, we got this person to, you know, shut up online or to get or to lose their job or to, you know, you know, shut down their accounts or block people like that, having a sort of instantaneous reward for folks and that being like a participatory thing that people would want to take part in. Yeah. And that's, I think that actually speaks to the changing nature of political participation. Uh, you know, when we first started to think about the internet as a political space, blogs. Everybody had a blog. They had a political opinion. Then you start to see slowly, uh, beginning with the so-called Arab Spring, people are using the internet to get coordinated. And they're doing it to get coordinated in public space. And I think what the far right does really, uh, what the far right really adds to this 
set of tactics is they have these hybrid sets of tactics where they do a lot of online organizing. And the point is to upset or uh, defame someone online. And it's, it's for them almost just as effective as, you know, showing up at the mayor's house and, and protesting in front of his house until he resigns. Right. For them, the, the winds are a lot, uh, the goals and the winds tend to be a lot smaller, but they also tend to be a, uh, quite a bit more personally uh, painful for people who become targets of this kind of harassment. And um, when it comes to what we've seen in the social media of the the man who uh, attacked uh, Mr. Pelosi is, is that he had really follow, followed along with a lot of the more mainstream internet conspiracy theories. Uh, it, it's not the case that he's in things that are, it's, well, you know this, there's like the internet and, and there's the internet where (laughs) there's things that are popular that nobody's ever heard of, but he seems to be in that popular vein of conspiracy and he's following along, which denotes to me that he was part of a community that he was, you know, listening to other people and following along, thinking he was doing his own research. Um, but ultimately he was being fed all of these lies and and the way that these things start to plug together around uh election denialism and in the subversion of the US democratic process um if you truly do believe that all else has been tried and failed th- the only recourse people feel that they have is is violence and um, reading some of the pronouncements of this man where he says, you know, he, he wanted to break Nancy Pelosi's kneecaps so that she would be a reminder to politicians that you can't just lie. And that it's that kind of delusional belief in one's own power uh, that makes people move from the wires to the weeds in this what is perceived as a very lone wolf kind of way, but um, that's not to say that this person hadn't been supported uh, in part of communities online before he ended up taking these last steps. I would imagine that for a lot of people, the idea that this movement online of guys who were big mad about ethics and gaming journalism in scare quotes mm-hmm. would then be related to this like political attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband. Do you think we're going to start seeing more people making that connection of those two, of those two things being related? Well, what's interesting, I think is um, a, f- a few things, which is that we are getting a lot of different uh, vantage points from which to tell the history of Gamergate, you can tell the story through the tactics of resistance. Uh, In our book, um, or you could tell the story from the vantage point of how mass media covered it. In our book, we really wanted to understand the relationship between Steve Bannon and Milo Yiannopoulos and the way in which Milo originally had come out and thought Gamergate was dumb. And he misread the audience. He missed it. And so he had to do a mea cupola and come back and say, yes, this is about ethics and gaming journalism. And because he had the platform 
of Breitbart, it gave that movement the belief in their own legitimacy, because that's what media really does, is it makes people feel legitimate and recognized and seen. That's why all movements strive to have media coverage. Um, and so in memoirs, as we were trying to tell that story, it was really important that we looked at and tried to show how some of those tactics that Milo was part of organizing that were being organized on 4chan then get filtered through someone like Steve Bannon, who is the bridge between these online populist movements and the president of the United States and the Republican Party. And and you see this dramatic shift in how Trump uses his own social media, how, you know, um, White House media and media properties is, is used once these um, uh, folks who are learning from that very online contingent of people are learning how to take those tactics and move them into mainstream politics. I mean, there's really nothing fundamentally that different from what was happening during Gamergate to when Trump is pointing at CNN and calling it fake news, right? It's it's almost the same narrative. It's really about ethics in mainstream journalism, right? And I think once we start to think through, well, what are people asking for from media? Does mainstream media have a responsibility to tell the truth? If it does, then what is this partisan media that we're paying a lot of attention to? Do we allow news organizations that are partisan to call themselves news? It becomes a much more complicated question once we realize that the tactics that seemed jokey and small and part of low culture then become uh, mainstream political tactics. And uh and there's a lot to be said, though, for studying the resistance to that and figuring out, well, how did people get through Gamergate? How did feminists come out the other side? Um, which I know some of your um, some of your own research and podcasting has done. Uh, but there is a disconnect here between that style of resistance that tends to happen within communities. There's no real connection between that and any political party type of way, right? You don't see um, the same kind of uh, sutures like you do on the right between the internet world and the party. Uh, So there is some work to think about related to the Gamergate tactics becoming mainstream political tactics there's a lot of work to think through. Well, what is the resistance to that look like? And are there politicians that are willing to take up the charge Hmm. and make sure that those resistance tactics get the same kind of value and uh, attention as all of the, the bad, the baddies, you know, (laughs) it's all the bad guys online. That's such an interesting point that I didn't even really think about because, you know, Bannon clearly had a lot of takeaways about how those tactics could be used to build political power on the right. And we don't similarly have a kind of infrastructure 
that then asks, well, how did feminists and black women online, you know, re- like resist to this? How did they, how did they lean into the power of community to, to strengthen their own online spaces, even when in people with institutional power really didn't help them? And so we don't really have that same level of interest, I guess, in how we then support that same kind of resistance that there is on the right. Yeah, and it, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing. I, I've talked in the past with Ruha Benjamin about this and about tactical uh, disclosures because you don't want what you don't want happening is many much mainstream attention to the tactics that are working when they're working because mm-hmm. usually when we're talking about community uh, safety, we're talking about instances where community members have figured out an inside line to get things done, either to get corporations to change their minds about something. I'm thinking here about the the organizing um, of color of change around blood money and getting PayPal and other payment services to stop paying white supremacists. Um, those tactics, they feel very ephemeral because I think you know, they've been, I mean, they've been um, historicized by academics, but they haven't been taken up as serious policy by politicians. So when I would say that when we talk about institutional support, you know, academics can take it far, but really what we need is that layer or that muscle between those resistance tactics and translate it into policy so that we can change the design and not just try to change, you know, one by one, the bad actors. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. In the work that you and I do, so much of the work that we're doing is like focused on individual bad actors or individual, and it just feels like playing whack-a-mole. And it Mm. is, you know, it's what we're doing, but it it never feels like enough. It feels like even if we were doing even if we were work, doing this work at the capacity that we, you know, like working at it 24-7, it wouldn't be enough. We need, we need infrastructure change. We need deeper, more meaningful changes because, you know, banning, deplatforming a bad actor here and there is great, but it's not going to, to have that like lasting change. Yeah. And I, I you know, I, it, that's where we end up at the end of our book really is this idea that the design has to be much more intentional. You know, if you think about Musk buying Twitter, Twitter is the most influential news distribution system in the world. Now, it was never designed purposefully to transmit the news, right? And so Musk, who's now anti-media, is in charge of it. And, you know, you have to wonder where he's going to go with that. But it's certainly not going to be into, you know, adding to the integrity of information online, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I do think that there are great academics out there that do that work of of working with movement. I'm thinking here of my, my dear friend at UC Irvine, Roger Crooks, um, who work with movements and try to do research based upon the questions that they have. I do think it's really important, especially today, to keep our eyes on these the the innovation and the kind of entrepreneurship of the far right um, because of how important they are for culture in terms of shaping the culture, especially around certain issues that we cannot fail on. We cannot fail on fighting anti-Black racism, transphobia, especially these days. Um, You know, we have to fight for public health because the state's not going to do it. And so, you know, I I often think about it as this paradoxical process where I'm always trying to understand the broader system, the implications for it, but I'm never going to make the mistake of thinking, that pro-social movements use the same technology the same way that anti-democratic ones do or white supremacists do. It might fundamentally be the same technology, but they bring to it different sets of values, Mm -hmm. different sets, skill sets even, uh, and make that platform or that media do something that other groups aren't able to or haven't really thought of yet. And that's why I think it's, 
up to us to try to build more of a whole of society approach. We want to be working with technologists. We want to be working with um, librarians and educators. We want to be working with activists um, because we need to reshape the information ecosystem. And, you know, it's a pretty dark day for a lot of people who formed really lasting and important friendships and social solidarities on Twitter, because if you can't trust the platform, it's going to be harder and harder to trust each other. And so it's going to be really important going forward that people find alternative spaces to have these broader, bigger picture conversations, especially um, people that live in diasporas that need to build global solidarities. Um, but it's, as I've been thinking about it, you know, it's a, in some ways Musk is undoing the last decade of hard work of a lot of people, not just the people who work at Twitter, but a lot of people who have made these networks and friendships and organizations along the way. Um, which is not to say that we have to throw that all away instantaneously, but I do think it gives us more of a a mission driven focus on getting the infrastructure in place and um, thinking about, well, how could that infrastructure then be weaponized against us like it was during uh, events like Gamergate? Yeah, I, I've heard you speak and write really eloquently about the, the, the deep need to build a public interest internet, an internet that is really meant to serve the people. But I also happen to know that you're a little bit of like a pessimist, that you aren't necessarily super, uh, well, you tell me, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, you know, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not one to suggest that this is the whole of it, which is that if we get the technology right, all of a sudden, you know, what ails us in our society is somehow going to be fixed. Um, but I do know what it's like to live without the internet. I am old enough to remember things were different uh, and the scale was smaller and the achievements were smaller. Um, and so there's been a lot of forward social progress um, and a lot of accountability that has been, uh, you know, spread around as a result of social media. Um, and we've seen new voices rise and fall. And that I think that's what I love about the internet is the ability to meet and coordinate with people that are not like me or people that are like me, but are so far away from where I am that I never would have had the opportunity to meet them otherwise. And, you know, you're talking to a punker that, like, booked their first tour on AOL, you know, <laughs> like AOL hardcore music chat room, right? Like, that's where I come from. And so, yeah, I think that there are things that are exciting, different possibilities that are exciting. Um, and each, you know, group finds its platform and those platforms evolve. Um, and maybe it is the case that, you know, when I was finding my identity and my people, my platform was the record player, right? In the sense that like punk was still holding on to this 
uh, you know, analog technology. Um, and, but it created this whole culture of trading and, and listening and, and um, making tapes for other people. It doesn't feel the same with Spotify. It almost feels like you're cheating when you're like, oh yeah, I'll put you together a little mixtape here and ship it, right? It just doesn't have the same time commitment, I think. But that's not to say that that's my experience, but that's not to say that that's the same experience of a young person who's like making videos and, and expressing themselves. And those are the things that I think we're going to lose if we don't step up to protect the, the health of the internet now. And if we don't ask for layers of public infrastructure to ensure that one man with, you know, billions of dollars can't take away something that has value for tens of millions or hundreds of millions. Um, as well, I think conversely, thinking about information in the public interest, the history of our journalism had to go through a process like this, you know, where journalists really had to think about how do we professionalize, how do we uh, create information that is objective. Um, we don't always like that. Uh, style of journalism, especially if it gets too both sidesy, uh, especially if one side is lying. Um, but there's a method there and a commitment to ethics, and we don't have any of that at the backbone of our internet when it comes to these few companies that have really committed a smash and grab on our economy and taken with it many of the many of much of the funding for our truth telling institutions. So, you know, I'm 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 a little bit optimistic about what we should build and how do we do it and how do we make sure that it's serving the widest possible group. And I think that we do need to deal with some of our antitrust laws to get there and break up some of these companies that have bought and bought and everything. Um but pessimistically, yeah, like I, you know, the people that hate us aren't going away. They're not going away. Uh, they're not going to go away just because we build the most perfect technology. They're not going to go away if we build, you know, gates around our properties either. It's just, you know, at some point we have to reckon with each other. And, and um, my commitment to life is always about dignity. You know, how do we make sure people live with dignity? And that they live lives with, you know, certain civil rights. And, and I do believe that the right to communication should be free. Mm -hmm. And I do think that the right to communication is, is critical. But I don't think that means you should be able to, you know, politically oppress people or that you should have access to broadcasting to 80 million people lies and disinformation or hate harassment and incitement. Uh, but I, I do, you know, I, I, I think I hold paradoxical opinions that maybe aren't completely reconcilable. Yeah. I mean, I just have to, this is a non sequitur, but I have to tell you when you were talking about the vibe of, you know, records and making mixtapes, mm -hmm. I was in a relationship with someone that I did not know was a big 
jam band fan. And then when we moved in together, I found all these boxes under the bed and I was like, what's in these boxes? And he was like, oh yeah, I've been, for 10 years, I would go to parking lots where Grateful Dead concerts were happening and I would trade and buy and sell bootlegs. And that's this this is a box of those bootlegs. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> we, we, are, we, we are losing it's that. True. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And it's, it's happening in different ways. I mean, uh, yeah, I was just in Poland and I went to a party where um, many of the people were in the crowd enjoying the music and the DJs, but they were making TikTok videos in the crowd. And I was just like, why are all these people videotaping themselves, right? While there's a performer happening, right? And and But it's like, you know, maybe that's just how they feel expression right and community and and uh but i also don't want us to lose the capacity to realize that our uh all of our humanities are connected you know in a very cheesy kind of like well at the end of the day we all gotta live together um but you know i think that there are lines that need to be drawn of course with with that kind of rhetoric but yeah, like I think the the role I would love for the internet to play in people's lives is one of creativity, one of bringing people together, one of, um, you know, not so much just entertainment, but of building and collaborating together. That's a beautiful vision. Dr. Donovan, thank you so much for being here. Internet Hate Machine is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, check out our website, coolzonemedia.com, or find us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.